From all of us at NRPR Group, welcome to Perfect Pitch. I'm your host, Nicole Rodriguez, the CEO and founder of NRPR Group. Here on Perfect Pitch, I interview top members of the media to discuss the tips, tricks, and tactics that PR pros and executives need to perfect their pitch and close really great stories. Welcome to Perfect Pitch. I'm your host, Nicole Rodriguez, also CEO and founder of NRPR Group. As most of you who've joined us before knows, I love interviewing members of the media, discussing best practices with them, and sometimes I like to throw in little curveballs like today. Today, I am interviewing not only someone who is part of the media, who I love, but also someone who is a co or fellow PR person, someone who I love and respect tremendously, and someone who actually was on one of the very first Perfect Pitch episodes ever. Her name is Deidre Brickenridge, and she is the CEO of Pure Performance Communications, a strategic communications media and technology consulting firm based in the New York metro area. So she is also the marketing guru that I love to, you know, I love to pick her brain whenever we're talking. So, and as the host of the podcast, Women Worldwide, we're going to get to see today a little bit of both sides and how that plays into an executive's preparation strategy and a PR person's strategy dealing with how to work with a member of the media using best practices. So I'm stoked to welcome Deidre and talk about how Women Worldwide has just been growing in the years that we have been friends. I am incredibly proud of her. I think, what is this, sixth or seventh year and you're at like 2 million downloads? You're going to have to keep me honest on these numbers. So yes, without further ado, Deidre, welcome to Perfect Pitch again (laughs) in our newest sort of form. So I'm so happy to have you. Thank you, Nicole. I'm so happy to be back. And any opportunity to talk with you is just a wonderful one. So thank you for that. Yes. So is it six years or is this all, I'm like, I think it's six. I'm trying to time it around uh, how long NRPR has been around, but I think seven. We're actually in our seventh year. I can't even believe it. It feels like yesterday we just launched. It was some little experiment. Yeah. It's seven years and we're just about at 2 million downloads, which is really exciting. And we just keep creating those shows and sharing amazing stories and the guests inspire people and give advice. Well, I'm so proud of you. I mean, through the years that we've known each other, I mean, one of the things I love about you is that you have just this infectious, positive energy and um, your show, it really does. It highlights women in their strongest sort of, this is how I'm conquering the world self. So listening to it, it's also very inspiring. So I love how you, you just bring that to life, right? So again, we're both in PR. We've both started podcasts. I'd love to know how you decided that women worldwide needed to be a thing after being in PR. So how did that start? Well, Nicole, that's one of the things that here we are as PR professionals, and we're always telling our clients, you need to be on media, and you have to try different types of media, and it's integrated media, but are we doing that for ourselves? So for me, I always looked at whatever I was preaching, 
I had to be doing. That was number one. That's why I, from, I went from book author traditional in print to also become a blogger, but to be a video instructor. And then when I saw, oh, podcast, this is a thing because there's a huge resurgence. I thought this is a reinvention. This is a way to get out there and not just tell everybody to do it, but to show people. And that was one of the reasons. See, there you go, Gemini, sis. We think very, very similarly. I love, love, love that. No, that makes a ton of sense. So now, seven years later, you've had dozens of amazing women on your show. Having to book them, you've also had to work with PR people. Let's start with some of the the good things that you've seen. What are some of the good things that PR people are doing to book their amazing female clients on your show? Well, I have some favorite PR people that I work with and they know who they are (laughs) and maybe they'll be watching this episode. It is something about understanding when you are showing up with your pitch that you're capturing the essence of the show, what I'm about and what we're delivering to our audience. And you can tell right away the people who get the mission and the way they present their guests, and even they just get right to it. Maybe it's because they know me and they've worked with me, but it's right in that headline, Deirdre, you can talk to so-and-so about. And then I just read that beginning of, I know you have an interest in this. You can talk to XYZ client because they're actually looking at this a different way, or they've done something. And it gets my attention right away number one, but it's also the people who are so reliable. These are the people who come into my world. They have a really good pitch, but then one day, Nicole, you know, you're doing podcast shows and they have to be published every week at a certain time. We do that because you get into a cadence and your audience expects it. All of a sudden, a guest can't record. You're short on a guest. You turn to one of those PR people who has been delivering good guests and you say, hey, can you help me out? And on a dime, they present somebody. It's the right person. It's a person you know your audience will love and they work with you and they get it done. And everything just is so easy and it flows. And there's something about the trust and the reliability factor. We've been preaching it a long time. It works. It's real. Those are really great points, Deidre. What are some of the bad things that you've seen? Some of the bad behavior. We know it exists. So let's just call it out. We're going to air out all of the those issues because I'm like, if we put it out there and people hear that, maybe they'll stop, right? So what are some of those things? Some of the things are you never want the media person to have to chase you. That is the worst. Not delivering your bio for the show notes page, your photo or assets that you mentioned that we get excited about that your client would love for you to share, but yet you don't deliver them. That's tough. There's there's no excuse for that. Everybody has hectic days. Um, So that kind of drives me a little crazy. I think (laughs) um, trust. I trust you. You trust me. Sometimes with some of the guests, and this isn't all PR people, this is just a few, you have to meet with me first, and then you have to meet with me again, and then you have to meet with me in a pre-call with your CEO, and then we're going to (laughs) record? That is excessive. 
It's totally excessive. It's way too much. And I know I'm a nice PR media person, but draw the line. That's not happening. I could do a pre-call with, sometimes it's lovely when the PR professional connects you with the uh, the CEO. They can stay on and listen and we can have a nice little chat and that's fine. But literally it's two meetings before we even get to there. So that's a little nervous uh, on their part. No need for that. There's another one too that I like doing the research on the guests. I like developing the shows. Trust me, this is a show that highlights the very best of your CEO, your whoever, uh, your entrepreneur. And it's really interesting. Um, I don't mind it from the PR people who I really respect and trust. And every so often they'll be like, could you say this instead of that? That's fine. But sometimes you get somebody who wants to dictate your entire show and you can't even be you. It's almost like, well, if you don't ask these questions, compliance won't let our CEO come on. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, sometimes I don't read questions and things come up. Maybe it's better that the CEO doesn't come on. Those are things that just don't really belong. It's not real. When you're out there in front of the media, train your clients to be able to pivot and move and shift with conversations. There's a lot of tough conversations going on. My show isn't necessarily one of super tough conversations, which makes me laugh, but I think maybe a little training might help. Definitely. And I think it's familiarizing yourself with the show. If they were to listen to a few episodes, they would know that you're not sitting here. You're not an NPR or a CNN or someone trying to dig in to the core of some information that they feel their audience needs to hear. You are about inspiration. How did you get here? Tell me about your struggles and how you got through them. Right. Inspirational. And if somebody were to just sit and listen to a few episodes, they would see that that, or hear, you know, that that's not your demeanor. That's not how you conduct an interview. So there's really nothing to worry about. But yeah, yeah. that just, it's the homework, right? That they're not doing it, which means that they can't guide their their CEO. Oh, those are such great points. Oh my goodness. All right. Awesome. So now here's something that I love about you and I love about I don't know, what you've been doing overall with your firm with you as a professional, you know, you've developed something called a feel model. Um, And I just, I'm so, I just adore you in so many ways. And that to me, I'm like, that is really creative. Like what, what, explain your feel model for PR professionals and how they can use it. Okay. So just give you the tiniest bit of backstory so that you understand where feel came from. My stepdaughter, Noelle, chose to end her journey with us in 2018. And when something like that happens, you take a huge pause. It was so heartbreaking. And all I could do was think about how are millennials feeling? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What is going on with millennials? So I launched a passion project not thinking it would lead to a big study, a model, a way to help professionals. And after a hundred or so interviews, millennials were telling me that they wanted certain things. 
They wanted the people around them to be open and inclusive and to face their fears. They wanted people to be empathetic and understanding, caring and kindness. They wanted people to be ethical and live with good judgment. They wanted people to unleash their love. That spells feel. That's the model. What happened was, is that I thought, you know what? We all walk around thinking we feel, but maybe we don't. Maybe we don't feel first. How do we feel? Gauge our own emotions, manage them, be self-aware so that we can manage others. And that's why I created a test. That test now has over 9,500 answers in it, all about the way professionals feel first. Because the model itself, what comes out of it, Nicole, is that if you can feel first and you can connect with somebody on a level of open and inclusive and empathy, and of course, you have to be ethical because you'll lose trust and it's loving and passionate, you can build a deeper relationship. What do we try to do in PR? We build relationships. What do we do in business? We build relationships. So the model helps you to first feel first, take a test and build a roadmap, a roadmap to increase your level of feel and to be tuned in so you can then use feel throughout your channels and tune into others. It's moving really from a one-off transaction to deep, deep, deep relationships where there's loyalty and advocacy and trust. And that's what we talk about all the time. So I just wanted to give a model, a test and a model so that we could get there. Oh, I just, and I love that because you're exactly right. I think even at the core of the name of our profession, right? Like media relations, public relations, it's relationships, right? And I think with all of the technology that has entered our space, with all of the different shortcuts that I see that professionals are trying to make, each and every one of those shortcuts takes out it takes out the relationship building part of it. It's energy. And instead it makes our profession transactional and not feeling and not like, Ooh, I just read this story. I want to hit up this journalist because I think I have another idea for him. That's something that you feel that you feel like in your gut, Mm -hmm. you know what? I need to call Deidre. She needs to talk to this woman who I am just so honored to be working with. Now she is so inspiring. And you know what? She's perfect for her show. And, That's all feel. But you can't get there. That's the thing. I don't think we realize as much as we should how tuned in you have to be to feel. And that is something that I now bring to my executive media training and communications and presentation training, that your ability to be clear-minded, it's that calm, clear, concise That's what gets you. You're so tuned in that you have that energy and ability to tap in and to tune in to somebody else. And that's where the magic happens in the relationship. And the confidence too. Yeah. That confidence that you are matching the level of energy that's needed in an interview, that you are giving them what they need. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you're on that date and things are real awkward and it's kind of like, well, what do I? 
And, you know, should I talk more or should I over talk? You know what I mean? And it's like, that's something that you've got to feel out. It's an interaction between two people. And when it becomes purely transactional, that you're not thinking about the other human who ultimately has a job to do. You're in the media, you have a job. Your job is to, you know, report into your, your audience, to share information with them regarding whatever it is they're trying to learn. If you are not thinking about their job while you as the interviewee Mm -hmm. are delivering or the PR person who is pitching the interviewer, it's all disconnected. Disconnected. You hit the nail on the head because that's why I do media training with a feel lens because you can't just show up with your talking points and your executive presence. You have to be reading and so tuned in to the person who's interviewing you and to the people that they're serving. And there is a big difference. And it shows, it literally shows in the way you connect in your interviews and what happens afterward. And if you get the call back. Totally. And you think about the two agendas Mm. Everyone comes to an interview with kind of like, okay, well, this is kind of what my goal is. And somewhere in between those agendas blend together to create something hopefully great for the audience at the end of the day. This is for the audience. Absolutely. That is so key. Um, One thing that I talk about with my executives is agenda. And that breaks down as an acronym. It's literally you come with your agenda But when you think about the media and the people they serve, you better think about the attitude, the general bias, the education level, the narrative, the data, and how this story affects the public. That's the agenda. Oh, so good. New infographic. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is, I love that. So I'm like, I'm going to go ahead. If, if I use that, I'll, you own the trademark or the copyright on that. So I'm gonna, I'll give you the credit. Like, okay, awesome. here, thank you. I appreciate that. Of course, of course. Right. Like, um, but that's awesome. I really, really love how you break that down. Cause that's right. Everyone comes to the table with a agenda. Right. right. And if you're considering the other person's agenda, I think you get a better outcome. Because you're not trying to bully your agenda into their face, which is what you were just talking about earlier, where when the PR person tells you, well, the CEO needs to meet with you seven times (laughs) and only these six questions can be asked or that's their agenda. That is them shoving their agenda in your face and not even thinking about the audience or you. Exactly. Um, It doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. I love it. Oh my goodness. You're so smart. I just adore you. So thinking about how now let's go back to technology. A lot of how you or, you know, we are pitched or whatever it is. A lot of it happens in email. Some of it can happen in a LinkedIn DM, Twitter DM, right? Verbal communication. How important is the written word right? In terms of how we use our words to approach people can be super lengthy. It sounds to me like you're saying that people who get it right, know you, know how to nail it, get to the point and give that to you in a certain, you know, length uh, or whatever. So let's talk about that for just a little bit. Cause I think, especially for the up and comers, the young people in PR, 
I can't stress enough how much your writing matters in this profession. So can you give them a couple of tips on just writing and structure if someone were to approach and pitch you? Yes. So concise is always better getting to the point and then you can always give more details after because sometimes I don't know if you notice this Nicole but when you're dealing whether it's with the media or you're dealing with a c-level executive chances are they might just be reading the headline of the email and the first paragraph and if if you're in PR you're writing news releases and you know that those two parts of the release are super super important it's no different as if you were pitching in an email also when it comes to writing i would use there's no shame or harm in using something like grammarly i mean why not our eyes we can speak very well and be clear and concise And we can write the same way, but sometimes you can read it, you can read it backward and still not catch the errors. And I think today having errors when you have all of these tools, it's almost like getting the person's name wrong. People look at it and say, oh my gosh, if this is the pitch that they're sending and it's sloppy and there are errors, whether it's grammatical or spelling, what is it going to be like to work with this person? And who is this guest that they're sending me? So it just, it sends a signal. It's almost a a perception. So I I do believe use whatever tools there are. I use Grammarly. Grammarly can also extend on your Chrome browser. So it checks your Facebook (laughs) messages. It checks your, your tweets and your DMs. It can be on your LinkedIn as as well as on your blog when you're writing things out. I do believe your writing is important. And on one note, when you speak, I notice this with executives and interviews, if they don't, if they're not clear and they don't find clarity and their brains are going a million miles an hour, their mouths just talk way, way, way too much. It's no different in your writing process. (laughs) If That is so true. It's like, wow, that was a long paragraph that said, Zero thing. Zero. Like that actually didn't say anything. 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 Because the brain is going and the mouth is not connecting. <laughs> so the mouth and or the hand is just writing and writing. And I don't know. And I also do believe draft and draft and draft again in your writing. That's really important. I write a lot of books and I go through many, many iterations. And even after the many iterations I do, I have an editor and a production team that still has the ability to rip it apart. So you can even let somebody else read your writing if it's super important. Nothing wrong with that if somebody's willing to do it. No, I agree wholeheartedly. I think I'm a little bit of a, I don't know how to say it, but like force myself to know the rules. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many, and I'll tell you, starting with like a fifth grade grammar book and getting from the core. Yes. At the core, the basics, basic, 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 basic. Do not mess these up from the fifth grade, even through like the seventh grade a lot of what we learned there. Yes. Like those are the, like the easy, do not ever mess up. If it's a question, don't use an exclamation mark. (laughs) If it's a question, don't use a period. Like 
little things like that that you even see in like executive emails to this day. So I, you know, what? one of my things, people use crossword puzzles. I actually love going back to grammar books and just that's kind of like, oh, great. that's right. That's right. That's right. And I recommend that to my team. Like, look, you know, these tools, Grammarly, great. My daughter uses it, you know, but I told her, but I said at the core, that's always a great crutch, but mm-hmm. it's technology. And sometimes it doesn't read your, you know, what you're trying to say or, or whatever. So if you know the rules, you'll know exactly how to break them. And when you're breaking them, why? Right. Exactly. So it's using all of those things, but like, yeah, no, I forced myself. I actually kind of love it. I love to nerd out on these grammar books as well. <laughs> I had no idea. Well, it makes sense because if you think about it, so going back to fifth or sixth or seventh, maybe even eighth grade, the New York Times apparently is written for on the eighth grade reading level. There's so go back and learn these things and see how they're applied. I would also say to PR professionals who are doing a lot of writing, read, read a lot. It can be books about public relations if you want, but it could be books. It could be memoirs. It could be self-help and motivational books. I just read a biography on Abraham Lincoln with Malice Toward None. That was an awesome book. Just read. And it it helps you so much in your writing and when you speak. And with creativity. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, a book forces you to use your imagination when you're using it. You're using that muscle. I know that's uh, it's that's definitely been a thing for me from books that I've read. It's like, oh, wait a minute it sparked certain ideas at work. So I I just, I love these tips. Hopefully people are taking notes, but, and it's so funny. These things are so simple. And I think sometimes in life we overcomplicate, let's add technology in here to fix this problem. And it's like, you know, if you just do this, this all becomes so much easier. Think about the other person. Don't send an email that has a bunch of errors in it. (laughs) Read if you need to improve your writing. You know, these are and just so simple. Breathe a lot. Relax. That that's the biggest thing. I had somebody say to me recently, this is so funny. She said, I like you. You're a PR person and you're so calm and you have such good energy. And I thought, well, thank you. But what does that say? Are we not as a whole, as a group, calm? Are we, yeah. are we not putting out good energy? So of course I took it as a positive, but at the same time, it took a lot of years to, I know if you met me 15 years ago, I was much more hyper and all over the place. Now I'm a lot calmer and, you know, in this case, you're like, I've got it down. I it's never, like, hold on. The whole world could be crashing and you're like, give me a I'm second. like, yes, I can. Uh, I'm, we, I'm can we can do this. Yeah. We've, we've put out many fires. Let's just exactly. we'll dump the water on it and exactly. the fire is going to go away. Oh yeah. I think that comes with practice that comes with having to deal with making the mistakes. And I think you're, you're so right. It's totally yeah. okay to make mistakes. I've made so many mistakes. Yeah. It's just to know what you're going to do with those errors and how you're going to learn from them. And that's probably the best part of the journey. Nicole, as an entrepreneur, haven't you made mistakes? I mean, girl, girl, yes, yes, PR person, entrepreneur, whoever you are, but this is how you move forward. Yeah. And, and 
take it as a learning experience. Definitely. Yeah. Otherwise the mistake will repeat itself and you're just going to keep kicking right. yourself for making that yes. same mistake. And fail fast. Just fail fast. It's okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. When it comes to those little things, I mean, it's like, oh, that didn't work. Hold on a second. And again, it all, it goes back to feeling. Yes, it does. Oh my God, that didn't feel right. You know what? (laughs) When you're bringing on guests, you probably feel you have, and this is one thing I love about your show too. You have a very like, let's have one call, me and the person, get to know each other, get our energy going almost like a, a warm-up call to your interview to get a feeling for who they are. And oh, that sparks a new question. You probably have felt guests that were like, you know what? I'm not sure I actually want this person on the show. I don't think that they are going to be able to deliver or whatever, or people, you know, potentially working with you. Ha- has that happened? And how did you deal with saying, you know what, it's probably not a good idea. Thank you so much for the pre-call, but this isn't going to work. Like, can you walk people through how to politely uh, do that? Yeah. How you've done it. Sometimes it's just not the right fit and it's better to be transparent in a kind way. And to also let them know this is an avenue where you could go down or, you know, I would even recommend to a publicist because I am a PR person. I understand that it's really hard when your client thinks they're getting on this show, but it's not the right fit. So what I do is I will recommend. And if I have a friend who has a show that is a really good fit for that client, let me make a connection because ultimately to bring the person on the show and it's not a good fit, that's going to make them feel uncomfortable. It's in their best interest. That's probably one of the kindest things a media person could do, even though as a PR person, we might not realize it at the time. Because if you make your client feel uncomfortable, they're going to be really unhappy with you at the end of the day. So that's kind of how I navigate it. And if there are opportunities to do other things together, I'm always happy to do that. That's that's how I navigate those waters. And it seems to work out. I love it. Love it. Love it. Such always full of just great, great, great advice. So thank you. Now getting down to some of the, like the deeper stuff, like as we're thinking about, all right, these are things that we want them to do, what we don't want them to do. These are some kind ways that I've pivoted and said, this person shouldn't be on the show. Tell me about your biggest pet peeve about our industry, right? What we as PR people are doing or are not doing, what is the biggest pet peeve that you're like, this is what we need to fix right now? I don't know if I have a biggest. There's just things that I see. I'm like, oh, why do we do that? So I'm just going to name one that comes to mind. We are about helping to get out stories in a credible, meaningful, do no harm way. And we just have to be careful what we're sharing because it does, we represent different clients and industries and people are watching. And if we're the ones saying, Let's be ethical and have good judgment. So I did just write the book, Answers for Ethical Marketers. 
then we should be checking and double checking and doing the right things as we share. So in other words, we should not be retweeting bots who are fake and who are just propagating news that is not newsworthy. Absolutely not. And then people say, well, how do you know? It takes all of two seconds to really be able to tell, oh, this is a bot. All they do is retweet. Oh, if you look at their profile, first of all, they're wearing two different <laughs> earrings and their eyes are different or they um, clearly are just, there's no conversation, but just a bunch of retweets. There's nothing of substance. That's one way. And then you say, well, the news, the news, how do you even know if it's fake news? Because everything seems fake today. Look at the news, look at the URL of the news. You can tell there what's a real news site and what isn't. <laughs> Make sure that there are real studies and real statistics and they link to sources and not the many people, but there's actually experts who are quoted. So for all the things that we're supposed to do, it is a pet peeve if we're out there sharing things that don't represent what would be news and meaning and what is good for our- I agree. Oh my gosh, wholeheartedly. It's, you know, and I think it also, you kind of hit the nail on the head with, it takes all of two seconds to double check yep. that something has credible sources. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I saw family members retweeting or commenting and I'm just looking like, okay, I understand they're not in PR. Well, let me- this was somebody writing something in their basement. This isn't even a real whatever. If you click on this, you don't see a link to a real study. You don't right. see that this and this and that. So it's up to us to help also shape the faith that people have and should have in the media. Yes. And I, I think the media has taken a beating. They really have. Yeah. So have PR people as a result. Yes. And I'll say it a thousand times, without the media, who are we? Right. What jobs do we have? We need to protect them. And by protecting them, bringing them good sources, bringing them good story ideas, not blasting them with a bunch of crap because our client says that we should get this out. Right. I, I tell my team, I would much rather you send 30 great pitches in a day than 300 in one blast. That's lazy. Exactly. Anyone can do that. Can you actually do something for a member of the media? That's a relationship, Nicole. When yes. you do something for a member of the media, I mean, yes. sure, you're also helping your client, but you are in a way helping them do their job and it's a win-win. You can't go wrong. Because I will tell you one thing that I don't like about what's happening to our industry is that you find people who will, oh, well, I write for this and whatever, and I'll just, I'll work a client's name in or I'll whatever, or, oh, I'll work, work this in if you pay me, or you know what, we're just going to pay for this here. And it just, it has become this like, I don't know, thing where people are trying to find the shortcuts. Yeah. I, PR has never been pay to play yeah. as media. It's supposed to be earned. It's yep. The, the separation from the church and the state of the, yeah. the and the, the earned media. Yeah. And there has been a little bit of a blending. And that's interesting because the consumer 
I mean, ultimately, when you put something out, even just your native advertising, sponsored, advertorials, whatever it is, it's up to the outlet, but it's also up to the peer people work on that too. Yeah. Sure that they are created in such a way that consumers understand this is paid. This is literally coming from a company. You are making money off of this piece. The media outlet is making money. And I think we need a little more transparency there. Yeah. No, and and look, advertorial is a thing. And I think that there's a pay, you know, what do they say? The peso model. There's a place for all of that. What I'm against is I'm going to pay this pseudo writer at Forbes, Mm -hmm. who's also getting paid from Forbes, to write that to me, I'm like, that's not, now that's not right. Someone at who writes under the Forbes name should not be getting paid by anyone, but Forbes. Absolutely. And that is a thing where I am just like, are you serious? Oh, well, you know, I'm also a contributing writer to Forbes. And so I guarantee that all my clients will get in. What? So I've never experienced that with a a higher tier publication. Thank goodness. Because like you, I think my hair would be on fire. Yeah. What I have experienced with smaller publications and writers, this is just interesting to me, where they would just (laughs) say to me, oh, you just write the story. Oh, yeah. Wait, what? No. (laughs) Oh, I, I, wait, I'm, I'm. No, that's not how it works. You're the writer. It's an earned piece of content. I'm bringing you, it's not a byline either. It's, or like, you're not asking the client to byline. Maybe I might help in that respect, but it's literally under the writer's name. You, I would be the ghost writer for the writer, but yet I'm representing the client. That's a little bit of conflict of interest, wouldn't you say? Sure, sure. And I think that, again, there's so many now like different blurred lines with citizen journalism and people being able to create their own mediums for, you know, whatever that, you know, usually, yeah, it's it's like, hey, just have him do a byline and that's fine, right? That's we will fine. write the byline for the sure. executive. That's not a, not that's, a big deal, right? Great. Yeah, no, more often than not, that is the the feedback that we get. And, um, you know, I would say, you know, to some outlets defenses who trust us that it's like I'm slammed, I will edit it. But if you want to please just write it for me, I'll put it. Okay, great. As long as I know that you are going to then massage it from there to make sure that and and then from them. Yeah, it has to be theirs. You're right. If it comes, if you know the person really well and they just want you to help out, get a a framework. Okay, it's my blog. Sure. That's fine. That's fine. But you cross a line if they literally just let you write for them and they publish it and you become them. That I would recommend. Don't do it. Don't do it. Or and, and make sure that it doesn't sound completely advertorial for your client. Cause then at that point it's like, okay, then this is a sponsored or whatever it is, but it's, there's so many different things that are happening that I want even clients to know that if someone says we can guarantee because I write for Yahoo finance, or I know someone over at ABC, or I know someone at this big major media person, or if you pay me X amount of dollars, 
we're just going to write that story and get that in. I don't even think that some of these big media outlets know that. I don't think that they know that some of these quote unquote writers are, you know, and so it, to me, it's like they're double dipping on, oh, I'm a PR person, but I'm also a media person and the media outlet that pays me doesn't know I'm also getting paid from this person. There's a lot of that going on. Like to me, that is the part that I'm like, makes "Mm." your head spin. (laughs) Yes. Cause look, I, I contribute to Forbes. I contribute to entrepreneur magazine. I tell my clients zero, like I don't, please don't count on me writing you in. That's, that's not what, what my commitment. That's not what it's about. That's not what that's about. So, and I, I just think it is how some people are like, well, this is how I do PR, but that's actually not one. It's not right. And that's not PR. Right. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. the word. That's there's it. the word. <laughs> Fascinating. Yes. Oh yes. So, oh my gosh, I could talk to you forever. But I know we're running out of time on this episode, but as, as a fellow PR person that I trust you have so much integrity in your work. You, you you really, you inspire me so much. And I love whenever we have really great women that we know could, you know, just work for your audience and inspire your audience. We know to go to you. And that has Absolutely. just been awesome. But in our last few minutes, I want people to know where they can find you, what it is you want them to know. Are you promoting anything specific? Please, this is your time to just let us all know so that we can support you in every way and follow and like and do everything you need us to do. That is awesome. So thank you. Okay. I am on Twitter and you can find me there at Dee Breckenridge. I'm also a LinkedIn learning instructor. So I have several courses on public relations and marketing. So you can find my video courses, check them out. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn and go to the DeirdreBreckenridge.com blog. I have a whole section of DIY resources where you're going to see all of my books, articles, everything about feel and models and agenda and things that I've written on. And I think right now I did just publish Answers for Ethical Marketers. Check that one out. And um, just one little plug for my children's book, (laughs) which is also all about feel, A Whisper from Noel. It is in the memory of my stepdaughter. All proceeds go to charity, everything. So maybe they'll want to check that out as well. I love that. And I love you. And thank you so much for being on the show. But yes, as always, and I had no doubts that this was going to be a great discussion. So thank you for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule. And I cannot wait to see you when I'm in the New York, New Jersey area. Um, Got it. Getting to like break out and visit. But it'll be, yes, it's going to be exciting to just give you a hug post-COVID, yes, yes. you know, and, and actually see you. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And for those of you who tuned in to another episode and got all the way to the end because all of this information was just so, it was just hitting and you've all been taking copious notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for supporting Perfect Pitch. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, if I'm remembering all of them, and YouTube, um, if you haven't already subscribed, if this is where you're watching, um, because there will be plenty more great guests like Deidre, but thank you. And for more information about Perfect Pitch or NRPR Group, 
you can visit our website at nrprgroup.com. Until next time, thank you so much, Deidre. Thank you for listening to Perfect Pitch. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, NRPR Group's YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on Perfect Pitch and NRPR Group, please head over to our website at www.nrprgroup.com. 